Police are still continuing their search for six victims that were killed in Enkanini on Saturday. Of course, that particular mass murder following hot on the heels of another that took place two weeks ago in Kailicha, where five people uh, were killed. And again, it shines the spotlight on uh, the devastating state of criminality in an area like Kailicha. So today we continue our conversation in terms of understanding what the challenges and barriers to policing in that area of Cape Town are and what the interventions that are needed to improve the situation and improve the quality of life for residents uh, can be part of the conversation this morning. Ian Cameron is a spokesperson for Action Society and joins us on the line. Ian, good morning to you. Thanks for your time today. Good morning. Thank you, Cathy. I'm looking forward to the discussion. I think it's a very important one. And Dr. Chris de Kock is a crime expert. Dr. de Kock, good morning. Good morning and good morning to the listeners. And later on in the program, we'll be joined by Regan Allen, who is the chairperson for the Western Cape Community Safety Committee. Uh, Ian, let me begin with you. And, you know, this is a continuation of a conversation that we started last week. And already we have heard uh, from the local community policing forums, uh, local, you know, groups that have been trying to fight and advocate for better resources to come into Kailicha to help them deal with crime and from the um, South African Police Service. And the, 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 some of the, the key themes that have come up, Ian, seem to be around the spatial planning and just the layout of, of Kailicha, the lack of services, in particular roads, light in the, in the form of street lights, um, police stations that are making it difficult to contain this kind of criminality. So that's what we've already been told about what is happening in Kailicha. I want you to give us your own assessment, Ian, of, of where the challenges lie. Uh, thank you, Cathy. So, so I think I would like to start with what you've mentioned because I think it lays a very important foundation as to the problems that are being faced. So when I was in the, uh, very close to that area last week and also uh, in, in two or three other uh, high-risk areas in, in the Cape Flats, it, it, it once again highlighted the fact that the closer the very poorest of the poor people live to each other, the higher the chances of conflict. And it's a basic sociological principle. I don't think we need to go into much depth. The point is there will be more violence. But I think in this case, specifically with regard to the uh, uh, two, two or three major shooting incidents that we saw over the last more or less 10 days, uh, it is basically it is linked to, to gang turf wars. It, it seems to be linked to organized crime once again. And there's a much deeper discussion that needs to be had there with regard to how the police should, should act. Now, from my perspective and, and the time that I've spent with some of the cops on the ground there, um, you get two kinds of, of police members there. You get the utterly corrupt ones uh, that are incredibly involved and often on the payrolls of the gangs themselves that operate in that entire district or uh, used to call it a cluster. 
And and obviously then we, we've got a handful of fantastic members that really try to do a lot with very limited capacity. But at the core of this is a challenge in terms of not only manpower, but rather crime intelligence capabilities. There is no way that we can really act preventatively when it comes to these types of violent attacks because we simply do not have the resources in those areas to do this. And um, before, I, before we continue the discussion, something to just mention, I'm going to use Grassy Park as an example, mm. which is, you know, the UN prescribed average for, for members, police members per uh, population is about one member per around 300 people. In Grassy Park, there are about 1,800 people per police member. It is physically impossible, I'm sure you would agree, for those members to really do their jobs effectively if that is the ratio that we're looking at. And remember, those are mostly uniform members. They're not involved in crime intelligence and in detective services. So major challenges, Cathy, but we can continue the discussion throughout. Well, you've certainly given us a, a lot to continue to unpack during this conversation. Uh, Dr. Krista Cork, let me come to you and perhaps give you the same opportunity to, to give us your own analysis and, and insights in, in terms of what you think some of the key challenges may be. Well, this morning, the whole morning from five o'clock, I looked at the latest stats released by the minister on the stations. And I looked at Kailicha and um, it took me back. It took me back to where I was in the, in the police in 2012 when I did an analysis of Kailicha uh, for the minister, which they tried to use to stop the Kailicha commission. And um, it, it's the same situation. Things haven't changed much. I think what has changed, if we look at these shootings of five people, six people, and so on, which go on now for plus minus a year or even longer. That, that's another dimension. I think that's a dimension, and I agree there. That's maybe a gang-organized crime dimension. And that, that is a different subject. It's actually difficult to just uh, prevent with ordinary policing. But when we look at the murder figures of Kailicha, and if we look at Greater Kailicha, which is actually Kailicha Harare and Linguletu West, which the Commission looked at in, 19, uh, in, in 2013, 2012-2013, uh, if we look at that situation, the main, the, the crux of the problem is actually the following. Uh, and I discovered it then, and I discovered it again now. The first thing is you have street robbery. You have massive street robbery in a place like Kailicha. People leaving Cape Town late afternoon, early evening. They arrive in Kailicha an hour, two hours later on the, on the transport. They have to walk through uh, part of it, is shack, shack uh, dwellings, to their shack or to first to wherever they want to go and then to the shack. And it's there where they then get confronted and they get robbed and in many cases even killed. And then the body is just picked up the next morning. And then the, the next factor that uh, then starts to work is you get vigilantism, a reaction on these street robberies, and you get very, very strong vigilantism in that area of Kailicha, Harare, not so much in the later West. 
And then, uh, so they take then revenge and they kill people because they, they, they have a suspect and then they just kill that suspect. Now, I found in August uh, 2013, uh, 2012, just before I left the police, basically, I did that report. And what I found, and that report became a very important evidence in front of the commission, what I found was that a third of the murders, and, and Kailitsa is still actually the number one station in South Africa when it comes to murders. Um, uh, murder, it's a third of the murders are street robbery as a result of street robbery, a third of the murders is as a result of reaction on that street robbery. And then a third is other factors. Uh, you know, uh, uh, youth gangs, uh, domestic violence, GBV, those kind of things. But two-thirds of Kailicha's uh, murder can be reduced by high-visibility policing based on the information, based on crime mapping, crime linkage, and so forth. Unfortunately, uh, I must also agree with Ian there that there, as in all other stations, there is actually no, not enough people, enough vehicles, and enough analysis of information also as a result of a lack of resources. And that is the problem. Uh, Dr. de Kock, thank you so much uh, for, for, for that uh, analysis. And I think you've really painted a, a clear picture from your own perspective of what some of the challenges may be. I think what we can do first is deal with the issue of the mass killings because that is what we see dominating our news headlines, right? And this, the operations of the gangs and the turf wars, Ian, that, that you say are at play, what makes it difficult to police gang wars uh, in the way that we're seeing play out right now? I think there are a few factors, Kathy, that we need to take into consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I always, uh, I'd like to be solution-driven, and sure. I obviously completely agree with what Dr. DeCourt just said. The first thing, obviously, the visibility does play a role, and we do say that there is a key, that there is a very, very minor decrease in murder in part of Kailitsha after the city of Cape Town introduced the LEAP unit, uh, which is the uh, law enforcement advancement program where the city basically pushed in resources to assist SAPs and, and actually get numbers out on the streets with, with let's call it figuratively speaking, blue light. But I think there are a few other factors that we need to take into consideration. The gang violence in the Cape Flat slash Kailitsha, that entire region, is, is is absolutely vile. And we don't have an anti-gang unit at the moment. It was basically completely disbanded by Betty Tele, uh not even a year ago. And the few people that are left there are completely isolated. So firstly, in terms of this kind of organized crime, it's very difficult for local station members to combat such dangerous groups or individuals. Because remember, the chances that they live in the same community is, is almost 100%. So you are left facing your neighbor that might be a, a senior member of a specific criminal gang uh, that operates in that area. So the anti-gang unit needs to be restored. Uh, it needs to be brought back. It can work in all these areas, not only for visibility, but to make sure that we, let's call it, have an objective 
type of force that we can bring in. Mm-hmm. The second part that's crucial is the crime intelligence capabilities. We need to be preventative and we need to take on uh, these uh, senior figureheads uh, head on. I think it's it's crucial that they are, are directly targeted because at the moment we see here and there that police take one or two firearms off the street. Meanwhile, there are thousands. Um, if we think of the Chris Prince case, which is probably the one that's been mentioned the most regarding firearms that were fed uh, into the hands of, of specifically Cape Flat gangs, uh, you, you would see that we know that almost 9,000 firearms were, were sold to gangs just by Chris Prince and, and his partners uh, during the time when, when he sold them. So, so that's the, the, the first two or three points. And then the last one, I think that that needs to be considered is how we can restore some kind of statutory uh, power or capability for the community. But this, that being said, doesn't mean, again, that we want local people fulfilling those duties. Because of the, the, the organized crime factor, it's crucial that these specialized units have reserve support, so people that are well-trained, basically mm-hmm. reservists, that can come from the outside and support, for example, an anti-gang unit. But again, this um, should be an operation uh, uh, on its own, and it cannot be performed by stations alone. They are simply conflicted, and uh, and I think the, the intimidation factor is just far too high for members in those stations. In are these gangs part of the protection rackets? that we, we have seen in an area like Kailicha over the last couple of years? In my opinion, yes. Um, I think from, from what I've heard and, and, and the members, gang members that I've spoken with in the last few months um, during my, my, my work there, um, it was very clear that they are not only territorial in terms of the turf that they use, but they are almost have a let's call it a sense of pride if there could be something like that for a gangster, um, that they that they own or completely control a certain space. I can give you an interesting example, Kathy. Last year with the July uh, unrest, it was interesting to hear how many of the more senior gang members um, and, and senior in terms of the senior ones that operate streets, uh, so they are far more above them, but that senior members actually came forward saying that law enforcement and security should just tell them when they need assistance because they will uh, protect the mall from being looted. They will protect sure. businesses from being looted. So mm. it's a it's a far deeper problem than what we realize, and it's not something that can only be policed, right? You know, last week I was at uh, high school, and, and for the high school sake, I'm not going to say the name now, but I was at a high school uh, in the Cape Flats uh, with a, a program we were running with, with some of the high school boys in, uh, for sport. And uh, and while we were there, about an hour before we arrived, uh, uh, a child was stabbed outside uh, by gang members. But he was identified by gang members that were high school students in that school. So what I'm saying is that some of these gangs mm-hmm. are older than what the police service in South Africa is. Now, it's not an excuse, it's just important to understand that it's a far deeper rooted issue mm. than simple policing. We're going to continue the conversation with Ian Cameron, Dr. Krista Cook after the latest 1030 News headlines.
So we continue shining the spotlight then on the state of criminality, violence in Kailicha and really uh, trying to understand what is happening in that area. Ian Cameron is spokesperson for Action Society and uh, Dr. Krista Cook is a crime expert. They've really shared uh, some fascinating insights so far in this conversation to helping us understand what is driving um, the, 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 the levels of violence that we're seeing and there are multiple uh, contributing factors. Soon we'll also be inviting Regan Allen, who's the chairperson for the Western Cape Community Safety Committee, to be part of the conversation. Um, Dr. De Kock, let me come to you. I, I mean, what Ian has said about the operation of these gangs, the kind of pride that they have on being able to run certain streets, run certain areas, and how long some of them have been existing for and and how early they're able to bring people into their ranks. Um, How how does one begin to deal with with that kind of of challenge? Because it seems that the intervention of, of the police almost comes too late. Yeah. Can I, I first want to just react a little bit on, on what he said. Sure, that's fine, that's uh, I, fine. I must, I must, I, I must remember, you must remember, uh, say, say up to three years ago, uh, these gangs were actually not, they were, they were youth gangs in Kailicha, but not these gangs which have the same structures, it seems, as the gangs that we find in Philippi East, Manenberg, uh, you know, all those areas um, there, Mitchell's Plain and so on. These gangs um, didn't actually exist in Kailicha. In Kailicha, that dynamic that I've described of robbery, vigilantism, and so on, that was actually the main contributor to, to murder. But it seems now that these gangs have either are copycatting what is happening next to them at their neighbors in Philippi East and so on, and they are now copycat that in, in the area of Kailicha, also because they feel that there is a lack, the police can't provide safety and security to them. So they have taken over the role as a sort of a, not a vigilante group, it's, it's a gang. They've taken over that function. And you refer to protection records, and I also refer to protection records, but it's not, they don't see it as records. They provide protection to that part of the community a mm-hmm. certain part. But they also do a lot of other things. They provide drugs. They, uh, they, they, they make a lot of money out of this. They provide firearms. They, they, they are smuggling with firearms and a whole lot of other issues. And it is now these gangs that are in conflict with each other which get, uh, which, uh, get us this mass killings. Um, and it's very difficult to prevent it's extremely, you can't use the same prevention methods that you use with that other dynamic that I referred to. Mm. Yeah, you need organized crime units, but you especially also need intelligence. Intelligence must be on top of this. You need intelligence. You need a lot of intelligence on who's who and who is controlling what area and what is behind all of this. And only then you can start to investigate and you can... Um, you can arrest these people and take them to court because it's a very, very difficult process. That. 
Is, is there any way of telling uh, Dr. Dekoko why certain people are targeted, uh, especially if it's if you're saying that, you know, these are effectively uh, gang wars? So, so if I'm a resident, you know, do, do I need to be somehow associated with the gang or is it relatives of gang members? Are there patterns here that, that we're able to to identify? Oh, that's very difficult to say because in some cases uh, the gang may decide that we're going to attack uh, five people. They live in that hut there or in that house there. Mm. They are on our turf now or they are dealing in drugs with people and we don't like that. They, they will have their, their, and then they will go and attack. And immediately after that, you may find that the other gang or other group of people will do a counter-attack. That's why you find sometimes these incidents are very close to each other. Mm. And then you will find for a long time maybe no violence of that nature. And then, again, you will find an incident where people are killed. There's a hit on those people because these gangs also have their own hit squads. And they then hit on that and then there's reaction. Sure. Let me go to Tepo. Tepo, you're calling us from Kailicha. Good morning. Uh, good morning, mm. Look, here's the problem. They, in my view and my observation as I stay in the area, mm. if you look at Nkanini, for example, Auskate, it is an informal settlement. There are no roads. It's this newly built shack that people took over during the hard lockdown and so forth. Now, for police to patrol that area, they need to be on the ground. There is a very bad habit by the South African police from Harare and law enforcement. They will drive in a long convoy, just like, you know, when you, you know, like a tourist. But they are not boots on the ground. They don't go in between these shacks because that's where the crime takes place, right? The second thing, they opened a satellite police station, which is supposed to cater for Makaza and um, those informal settlements like Henkanini Island and so forth. But the issue is, this mobile police van, it's a mobile truck, right? It's parked inside a shopping center. The shopping center gates close at 7. So after 7, you can't access the police. I went there, and I found people shouting for the police outside the fence, and the police were just ignoring them. Now, I hold the same view that this is just sabotage. The politicians that run the country don't have an interest, the best interest of the people of Kailicha at heart. Why do I say this? That's how they outskate Out of the 100 people that are murdered in the country, 62 will either be in Kailicha or the other areas of Cape Flag. But let's look at the police allocation. Does the police allocation speak to that? No. You see now people have been murdered. What Minister Kela will do, he will deploy public police officers from at Pretoria, Gauteng, they'll be here for three months, and you will even announce that they'll be here for three months. After three months, they go back. What then? It's back to business as usual. Mm. There is no political will to deal with these things. Why don't we have similar things happening in Landatno, Scarborough, Kemp's Bay, and so forth? Those areas, if you go there, they are flooded by police and law enforcement. But these mm. areas where people are murdered, I'm telling you, there's nothing. You see one police mm. van, if you see metro police, they are standing next to a price stand, buying meat. There is no boots on the ground. 
And mm. I'm telling you, we will talk and talk and talk until that day we get people in the police management that knows what they are doing. We will never end. This thing will never end, my sister. Tepo, yeah. Tepo, very briefly for me, because I've got a break coming up. Do you think that the police are afraid of actually getting out of their vehicles? As you say, they always travel in a convoy. I personally think they don't care. Because a, a police officer, they don't pick you in the street and give you a uniform. You get trained. You get trained, you know how to train the situation. They just don't care. They, they, and some of them, I think they are in the pocket of these criminals. I think they are in the pocket of these criminals. I put it to you. I All may right. not have that prima facie evidence to stand in court, mm. but they are in the pocket of these criminals. It can't be how to let like this. All right, Tsepo, thank you for calling in and, and also for sharing that insight in terms of your own experience as a resident of Kailicha. We're going to continue this conversation after this break. Conversations that you connect with and react to. SAFM. We continue the conversation on the talking point. We're shining the spotlight on Kailicha and really trying to understand the various contributing factors to the high levels of crime that we see in that area. Let me welcome onto the conversation Regan Allen, who is the chairperson for the Western Cape Community Safety Committee in the Provincial Parliament. Regan, good morning to you. Thanks for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be talking to you. I think, you know, we've heard so far from some of the officials that have been doing work in Kailicha. Ian Cameron is still on the line. He speaks for Action Society. And Dr. Chris de Kock is a crime expert. And I think they've really outlined the challenges that an area like Kailicha faces. Perhaps from the response perspective and what is being done uh, to address the, the the high levels of crime, Regan. If you can give us what you are doing uh, from a community safety perspective so, so that we can understand better the interventions that are in place. Thank you so much. I am delighted that, I'm, that we have two experts, I would say, that have contributed to this debate. Um, I do follow their work and commend all the hard work that they are doing. But to provide context, um, what we have seen in Kailicha, for example, in Kailicha, the recent stats shows us that we have one officer for every 628 residents. We have a neighboring area like Harari or Linguletu West that also has a police to population ratio of one officer for every 600 and 64 residents. Now, we have seen that in terms of the best international practice, we potentially need one officer for every 350 residents. But what is further alarming in Kerala is that it's even above the provincial average in terms of the ratio. We have also seen that Kerala and areas like Claremont and Camps Bay and Seapoint would have a ratio of one officer for every 350 residents. So that is point number one. This is a clear example of skewed allocations, and this has been consistently raised by the Department of Community Safety, which has a legislated and mandated um, role in terms of the policing needs and priorities report that they undertake. So in terms of the policing needs and priorities um, 
um, report that is being undertaken on a year-to-year basis, we have seen how the skewed allocation um, has been raised. We've also seen how we have consistently requested that steps needs to be better resourced and better trained because there was a commission of inquiry. And I think many listeners would be aware that in 2014, which was um, a commission which was established by the former Premier Helen Ziller, which was led by Justice O'Regan and chaired by Advocate Busi Pakoli. And one of the recommendations was, for example, to build a new police station in Makaza. Only in October last year, we heard that Staffs had revealed a mobile police station. And this mobile police station for the Makaza area will not solve the issues that were raised in this commission's report. Because we do know that this commission was established and in 2014 when they made their recommendations. We saw that the inefficiencies that were raised and the breakdown in the relation between SAPS and the community, that was also clear within that report. Because the inefficiencies... Uh, in terms of visible policing inefficiencies, in terms of the detective services, were also found together with a pattern of weak investigations uh, which were occurring and a failure from steps to obviously provide feedback to complainants with some of the findings in that report. So we've seen how the Department of Community Safety in terms of its oversight role, but also sending additional resources in the form of LEAP officers um, which is a joint uh, partnership between the Western Cape government and the city of Cape Town to add more boots on the ground. But one component that the Department of Community Safety further focus on is in terms of violence prevention. What are we doing in terms of putting measures in place to address the social ills? So we have a number of departments that is all contributing towards the grander bigger plan for certain areas, like Kaya and it falls within the Western Cape Safety Plan. And this safety plan is a working document. We are looking at how we are linking it to data, um, how we are seeing where the crime is happening, um, how connecting with health, with social development, with economic development, etc. So we've seen how the community and these, and these organizations like the Kalicha Development Forum, we have CPFs and Neighbors Watches all contributing community being extremely fed up that that even the 2014 report, the recommendations has not been fully implemented. So there's so much still to be done. And the last week has been extremely difficult for many residents, knowing as well that these are issues that have been coming on for, for a number of years. These reports, these engagements, and the recent visa again by the National Minister shows once again that there's abuse happening, talking happening, but not enough action. All right. Um, I would say um, that's from my side for now. All right. Uh, I, I want to go to the phone lines and take some of the callers that, that we have on the line. Uh, you speak about the community. Let me bring on Nditini, who is with the Kailicha Development Forum. Nditini, good morning. All right. Let me let me see if we're able to to uh, to get him up on the line quickly. Ditini, good morning. Good morning, Kathy, and yes. good morning to our listeners. Mm. Yes, and yes, Ditini, you, you can go for it. No, I was, I'm just saying that the last the last speaker 
The last speaker speaks about a very interesting point, Kathy. Mm. There was one example that we've learned in the Western Cape in the last two years during COVID, that uh, when the when Kailisha was declared one of the COVID-19 hotspots, the Western Cape provincial government uh, assigned the minister for or the MEC for safety for community safety, Mr. Albert Fritz. We had a very good model, Kathy, in containing the spread of the COVID-19 in Kailisha. Now, the question that we are asking ourselves, why have we not used that model? Because it is a model that has shown us that when we work, all of us, in a whole of society model or form, we are at least able to pick up where there's new surge, when there's a flattening culture going on, as it happens now with the current situation now. The CPFs and neighborhood watches need a serious support by all of us. Mm. All of us in this sense with ourselves, communities, and as well as government in all three spheres. Okay. We are, and I also agree with something that he says. They, these was, and you see, as you can listen to, to the last caller, you find that there are things that are being done, but these are done in silos. Everybody is doing their own thing, or it would seem that somebody is doing their own thing in their own corner. And we are saying, why don't we come together and collaborate and put all our efforts together so that we can respond to the unprecedented uh, upscale or upscale of the, or especially the murders in Kyrgyzstan. Mm. All right, Nditini, thanks for that contribution. Nicholas, you're in Cape Town. Good morning. How's Kathy? Good yes. morning, good morning, how's Kathy? And uh, to the listeners as well, good morning. How's uh, Kathy? Adding to what uh, the previous caller was saying uh, regarding the differences, uh, we see the differences uh, goes on based on the color. Because where where there is white people living, you'll find that there is a lot of police and law enforcement uh, operating, including uh, the private security. So I fail to understand whereby why can't we have the police in the in the townships and the flats. Uh, the, the way I see it, I see there is a, there is a battle of, of a power hungry, actually political power hungry between the DA and the ANC, whereby let us leave their townships. We are the DA, we are ruling Cape Town. Let us leave their townships to suffer. Let us leave those people to kill each other. Let us not offer the police there so that the people can see the ANC as a useless organization. Meanwhile, people are dying. These are the people's lives we are talking about. This is a game being played by these political organizations mm. over the people's lives. Let us not uh, run away from the truth here. Okay. All right, Nicholas. Thanks. This is politicized completely and it's killing our people. Let me add on one thing that happened yesterday, Oskati. In the informal settlement where I stay, we called the police whereby there was a, a, a young man that was dropped by a taxi advance a day almost half dead. We called the police. They never came. They dropped our calls. And then up until we went on the road to stop one of the law enforcement car, we jumped in front of the road so that the car can stop so that they can come and see what is happening. Because sure. why? We as the black people, we are referred as to criminals. We are referred as non-human. And it, you know, okay, it's hurting. It's hurting us seriously. Mm. It's hurting us. Mm. All right.
Yeah, Nicholas, th- thank you for that. Uh, and I'm really sorry about that experience. And you have every right uh, to be frustrated under the circumstances. Makosonke, you're calling us from Soweto. Good morning. Good morning, Ketenia. Yes, how are you? I'm well, thank you, Makosonke. Good, good, good. I just want to say that there has to be a collaborated effort where, where the psychosocial um, program is in place that will take the, 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 the emotions of the citizens of, of Cape Town. As long as there's no collaboration, there will always be a challenge. And furthermore, I find that um, I was running a project that I had to travel all over the country, and we were working on the streets. So, and we using the tablets when they were, they were, they were when the inception of tablets were started. So then um, one of the things that I did, I dealt with the territorial spirit because in everywhere you go, there's a territorial spirit that operates there, which is now something spiritual. Now, which leads to the, um, the, the, the stakeholders like your churches um, to lead a, a, pro, a program like that and, and government departments and, and, and private sector to, to collaborate and deal with this matter because also I'm, I'm living in the township. I've also noticed that there is no collaboration. Mm-hmm. And hence you find that criminal elements will always uh, 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 um, uh, uh, succeed in the, at the end of the day. Thank you. All right. Thanks for that contribution, uh, Marco Sonke. Uh, of course, I'm going to give my guests just, uh, you know, a, a bit of time to make their the concluding remarks, even though we, I think we left it with about five minutes. But, but Regan, I want to come to you uh, and this idea and the perception that, you know, it's not a problem for the affluent areas to be policed, but the poorer areas, the informal areas, it's difficult for them to get the resources. Uh, respond to that for me, please. I definitely agree. And like I've indicated, so Seapoint, Claremont, for example, has a police to population ratio that is between one and 350 people, whereas Harare and Kalicha would be in the area of one officer for every 700 and odd residents. Plus, we know that in terms of the allocations, there might even be more residents in Kailicha as one of the fastest growing um, areas within the city of Cape Town. And that allocation is directly done by SAT, which is a national competency. We have been agitating, we have been shouting, we have been saying, we need to look at how skewed allocations are being addressed in order to not only add more boots on the ground, but bring about a whole-of-society approach. So we do want to work with everyone, with the city of Cape Town, with with SAPs and with DOCS and all the departments here to bring about that change. I'm so excited for later. There's going to be further discussions um, with the KDF, um, and I'm hoping that I will be there later this afternoon. Um, there will be other representatives as well because this shouldn't just be the conversation, but real, tangible solutions on the table with a clear timeline on when it will be addressed. Mm-hmm. But those allocations are done by SAPs. We have agitated, and like I've said earlier, even via a legislative process in terms of the policing and priorities, which actually in terms of the Constitution must be taken into account. All and right. that is not being taken into account. Ian, let me come to you and give you a chance perhaps just to add your concluding remarks. Yes, thank you. <clears throat> I've got, got three or four concluding remarks. I think the first one that's important, and it, it follows on what, uh, what Regan just said, is that I, I honestly believe that a lot of political allocations, resource allocations have been made in terms of SAPs in the Western Cape. You know, there are more than 5,000 vacancies in the province, according to my knowledge, and 
uh, it is quite simple that this is a national government issue, and a lot of people on ground level get angry with provincial government, but it is something provincial government doesn't have direct control over. There's an oversight function, etc., but it doesn't solve the problem. So it seems as there's a political uh, chess game going on whilst this happens. And then the last two things uh, that I would like to mention, I think... Uh, there's a there's a trend that we're seeing in terms of organised crime. There's a lot of new young gangs coming in, uh, gangs often, and uh, it might unfortunately add some insult to injury at the moment. But often run by illegal immigrants in in some of these areas that make it very difficult to track uh, some of those people, and it, it makes it quite challenging as it has really upset the old gang culture. Uh, not that there's anything good about it but uh, it makes it challenging to identify who the possible tactic uh, could be. And then lastly, I think in many cases, many of the cops aren't necessarily bad. I honestly just think they're scared. I think that many of these gangs are better resourced than some of the police. And uh, I've spoken to some of the police that say that they will not even with a partner into some of those areas if it's not in convoy. It is simply too dangerous, and many of these gangs are better armed and often uh, uh, just better resource than what the police are. In short, Kathy, if we don't restructure the police, the South African National Police Services uh, management, and we don't get rid of Minister Betty Tele, I don't see any prognosis. We need a drastic change of management in such. Dr. de Kock? Well, uh, yeah, in a very short time. I just want to uh, reconfirm that uh, I think it was Chep who phoned in. Uh, he said uh, the people, the police must be out of their vehicle in the alleys, in the small uh, little streets, in the in the informal uh, settlement. That happened in the past. It happened in uh, about 10, 12, 13 years ago. And then it worked. It worked. There was results. But it seems now the police are just sitting in their vehicles. And, uh, and then they don't even have to, can't, can't go into that area. Um, Visibility is visibility. It's people, the boots on the ground, not in the vehicle, and marching through those alleys. And it must be quite large groups of police officers. That is the the solution. Get rid of the street robbers, and uh, that will also then lead to a situation where vigilantism will disappear. Otherwise, we will lose control totally over a place like Kailicha. And then maybe a last remark. I think it's time that the Western Cape government and government must go and read the 400 and 500 pages of the Kailicha Commission. There's a lot of recommendations there which are now just gathering dust. Let me thank you all for your time today. And it would certainly be good to see, you know, what the recommendations of the Kailicha Commission were and how many of those have been implemented to date, given the fact that, you know, it's about eight years since that commission concluded its work. Dr. Chris de Kock, Ian Cameron, Regan Allen, let me thank you all for being part of this conversation. It's just after 11 o'clock, and Musa has your latest news.